Before we start today's episode, a bit of housekeeping for all those listeners out there. Whichever your podcast listening platform of choice, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, reviews can make a huge impact. Not only do we value your feedback, which can help us create better content, it will also help others discover the podcast. So spread the love and leave a review if you've got a minute. And with that, on with today's show. I'm the Reverend Dr. Jenny McKay, veterinarian and minister in secular employment, environmentalist, activist and self-confessed cat junkie. But believe it or not, I have never hosted a veterinary pathology virtual quiz on Instagram. Someone who has is my guest, Professor Roberto LaRagione. So, Roberto, please let me know how it went. And I'm guessing there wasn't a music round. Well, thank you, Jenny. Um, it's great to be here um, today. Um, yeah, well, it was really good fun, actually. Um, we get lots of students involved in, in the quizzes um, and we're able to ask a lot of different questions to individuals at different stages of their careers. So it's, it's great fun, um, really, really good from an educational perspective. And, and it gives a, everybody a chance to participate. But yes, there wasn't an educational round, but there are lots of different fun rounds involved. <laughs> Excellent. So something I've definitely got to try, I think, for the future. <laughs> Must. So, Roberto, you're currently the head of the School of Biosciences and Professor of Veterinary Microbiology and Pathology in the School of Veterinary Medicine. And this is at the University of Surrey. Can you tell me a little bit about your career in veterinary microbiology and how you arrived at this particular field of animal medicine? Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I think it all, all really started off with a, a, a love of animals early on and, and being very lucky to to live out in Italy for a while and be in the countryside and and, and seeing um, animals in different environments um, and also seeing sometimes animals and indeed humans, of course, uh, um, with different diseases. And there was a curiosity about what causes some of these diseases, particularly those infectious uh, diseases. And I went on to, to study initially animal biology and then followed by postgraduate degrees in, in um, veterinary microbiology um, at the Royal Veterinary College. Um, and indeed a PhD um, in the pathogenesis of E. coli in poultry, followed on by um, some postdoctoral um, work as well at various different um, organisations, including the what is the Animal and Plant Health Agency, now DEFRA, um, and university positions. In all of those, I worked in the areas of infectious diseases. Um, and I really had a love for understanding how those infections occurred, how they were spread, and above all, how could we control those infections mm -hmm. um, using novel techniques, um, whether that was a vaccine or a pre or probiotic or novel compound. And I've been continuously fascinated by the diversity of organisms and really just how clever a single bacterium can be and how it reacts to an environment, it reacts to a host and the disease that it can cause. But of course, also the fact that they are so beneficial as well. We know that we can't live without our microbiomes and they are really important in everything that we do from day to day, from food to, to the environment, to livestock, to our own health. Yeah, and a lot of what you're learning from veterinary 
microbiology, of course, is very, very helpful to um, human medicine and understanding what's happening with infectious diseases there. Absolutely. And I think it really plays to that whole one health and one medicine uh, side of things where we're bringing just animals, the environment and humans together. And we're really looking at that holistically mm -hmm. and, of course, planetary health at, at the same time. And things like antimicrobial resistance are a classic where we're, we're seeing resistance in, in the environment, in humans, in animals. And we know that there's interplay in between those, whether it's use of antimicrobials in animals, in humans, or indeed um, in in crops as well and, and other yeah, yeah. Um, antifungals, et cetera. Yeah. So very, very wide ranging um, you know, consequences of anything going going wrong in, in this um, field of microbiology. What's your current line of research at the university? Yeah, so my research is quite um, broad. Um, it's very much uh, initially focused on understanding how pathogens that can be spread from animals to humans, so zoonotic pathogens, mm -hmm. um, um, understanding how they're spread and how we can control them. And I work very much on a lot of bacterial pathogens such as E. coli and salmonella and brachyspira, which cause disease in animals and humans. Um, and we're trying to understand how the spread happens and how we can stop it. We're also interested in um, antimicrobial resistance, both how it emerges, how it spreads, and again, how can we stop it? Or what are the alternatives to antibiotics? And we've recently published a lot of work around alternative compounds for antimicrobials so that we can not only uh, replace antimicrobials, but in some cases, repurpose some of the really important antimicrobials that we're seeing resistance to at the moment. And that means we can continue to use those when necessary to treat infections. Um, but ultimately, it's about supporting those animals and humans so that they don't need antibiotics in the first place. So some of my other work is, is focused around the microbiome and how can we understand the microbiome and adapt it so that it's best placed so that we don't get infections or if we do it it bounces back quickly and we recover from those infections as quickly as possible and don't require antimicrobial treatment that's brilliant that would be very very exciting i know a lot of people would be very very happy not to have to oh, take antibiotics <laughs> Yeah, of course. And, and, I, and I think another area is, is bringing um, technologies such as artificial intelligence yes. into uh, what we do. So we've been using artificial intelligence in my research to, to predict and detect antimicrobial resistances from the sequences of bacteria, but also using uh, the medical records of animals or farm records as well. And, and it's really fascinating the accuracy that you can get with that. And you can use artificial intelligence to help with diagnostic assays as well. And our laboratory has been doing a lot of work around rapid diagnostics where we can diagnose infections very quickly so that we can know which antibiotic is required um, before the patient even leaves um, the surgery. And, and that means that we've, we're really helping with antibiotic stewardship. It's really, really good because I know a lot of people, they're very um, cautious about artificial intelligence, but 
but the benefits it can bring to areas of medicine such as yours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know there there are lots of um, skeptics around, will it replace? I don't think it will replace. It will make many of our roles much more important. And I mean that we can focus on the really more complex conditions. So, you know, in, in both pathology and microbiology, it can allow um, certain screening of, of samples, um, but it also can make the actual diagnosis more accurate if it's used in conjunction with the expertise of a, mm-hmm. of a human pathologist or microbiologist. Absolutely. So you also have another role, Roberto, and that's Chair of Trustees for Huma Animal Trust, which I think is an absolutely great name. Can you tell me a little bit about that organisation and also the idea of One Medicine? course yes so humanimal trust was um originally established in 2014 by um professor noel fitzpatrick um who many of you will know as a super super vet a globally well-known groundbreaking orthopedic neurosurgeon uh veterinary surgeon um always as a vet it really felt a big divide between human and animal medicine and and his thoughts were around this was unfair and frustrated by the lack of opportunity to share what was learned um, in both human and veterinary medicine across the two. So that laid foundation for work that the trust does today um, in trying to remove barriers and seeking to close the divide between both human and animal medicine. Um, And the Humanimal Trust really believes humans and animals should have better opportunities to benefit equitably from medical progress Um, Because vets, doctors and researchers and allied professionals should routinely collaborate and share and work together. Um, And all of that together is one medicine where we have reciprocity. We have if if there's a new drug developed for animals, then could it be used in humans and vice versa? And by studying the natural processes of diseases, uh, we can make more rapid progress. Um, And in some cases that means we're able to study the course of a disease in an animal or human um, rather than having an experimental model whether that's in the laboratory or elsewhere. And I know there was a recent competition it was called the Human Animal Trust Creative Awards and there were a lot of wonderful entries at that but can you tell me a little bit about the research and educational programs that are available? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, there were some absolutely fantastic um, um, uh, um, in, in different things that, uh, that were um, submitted for that particular call. Absolutely fantastic. From a research perspective, we've got a um, lot of different areas that we're looking at, and that includes infection control and antimicrobial resistance, oncology, um, musculoskeletal disorders and disease, neurology, neurosurgery regenerative disease um, and many other potential projects and the most recent call that we've put out is really specifically looking at um, particular areas that we can support and that might be additional uh, funding towards a PhD project, small projects, pump priming projects and match funding, proof of concept awards, um, helping master's degrees with specific focus on one medicine and undergraduate um, summer projects um, and literature reviews. And all of those can help us to build what we're doing around uh, One Medicine. 
From the educational perspective, we've recently uh, launched a number of initiatives around education and specifically bringing in um, educational experts to look at how do we educate about one medicine right from the early ages in schools so that we can bring in um, one medicine at the earliest possible stage so that everybody grows up with one medicine and is really able to understand what it means and the implications of it. And, and hopefully that will help them to work alongside the many vets and doctors and scientists that are trying to make uh, one medicine a reality. That's really, really good, isn't it? As you said, getting people interested in this when they're at school and undergraduates as well. It just gives them a taste of what it will be like to get involved Absolutely. in science yeah. yeah, longer term. Absolutely. And trying to bring in um, as much as we can into the university curricula as well, so that actually it's integrated as part of the curricula, both for vets and doctors um, and at Surrey, we've now got a new medical school, which has um, just been launched. And we're hoping that we'll be able to teach our medics and vets together and really have some areas of um, one medicine early on in the, in the curricula um, so that all of those uh, professions um, can study together. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm a great advocate for, for vets. It always, it always amuses me sometimes when you talk to some medics and they don't realize actually how comprehensive our our treatments are and and our knowledge is so i think yeah. it's great that they're, they're yeah. going to be melded together and learn more about each other's disciplines absolutely now i'm going to take you back to a time in 2015 and that's when the school of veterinary medicine was opened and you had to rather special guests who no longer are with us sadly yeah that was the queen yes, wasn't it yeah. it was late queen and late um prince philip um you know wonderful memories from um that day and um afterwards too um and it was a absolutely fantastic event actually and the school actually opened in 2014 with our first cohort of students uh, about 40 46 students at that time mm. um, but the buildings were opened in 2015 mm. and, and we were so wonderfully gifted to have the, the late Queen and the late Prince Philip uh, visit on that day and, and I think what I remember from that day was um, their interest in everything around uh, the school they were really interested in the students the, the facilities mm. And the education of the students, both animal lovers, um, mm. and they really spent a huge amount of time talking to staff and students um, and really absorbing what was being done at the school and what, what was different about the school, the, the innovation at the time, the, the, mm. the different curriculum and, and the distributed model, which had been um, used in other schools as well, but we, we were doing it slightly differently um, at the same time. They were also interested in the innovation, uh, things like the animal monitoring devices, um, the use of AI, um, how, how um, intensive agriculture was changing, um, especially things like um, poultry um, and aquaculture, mm -hmm. um, a real interest um, in what we were doing, but also how veterinary medicine and particularly the farm side of it fits with the countryside mm. um, and the planet health and environmental health, yeah. um, a real interest in that and, and wildlife as well. And we, we were asked many questions around wildlife and, and 
how we we worked with them and and what our role was um you know to protect wildlife as well yes i i think they are very clued up in the environment and i think the younger royals as well are are very clued up about that side of things as well which Absolutely. is very pleasing to see yes it really is it's really fantastic so how do you see the school has changed over the last eight years? Well, there's been quite a lot of changes and it's been fantastic to, to be part of that journey. And um, having come to Surrey really to start the school um, uh, a few years before it opened, it's been fantastic to, to be part of the whole journey right the way through. But I think the, the biggest thing is that the number of students has changed. We went from shy of 50 students to 150 per year so that's um, a big increase in the number of students still really nice number and I think we, we we get to know all of the students but other things that have changed I think the, the research portfolio has really diversified we've as we brought more academics in and, and we, we're really fortunate to have a really diverse portfolio of, of academics from all over the world we've been able to diversify the types of research we do whether it's from neurological disease in dogs through to antimicrobial resistance in my lab to epidemiology or digital pathology lots of different areas and really contributing to the, the health and welfare of animals but also public health as well i think our collaborations have increased mm -hmm. hugely uh, with other organizations and our um partner network has grown um, and I think with that the work that we're doing of course has increased our contribution um, to society as a whole um, and as a different professions that work in the school from um, vets scientists mm -hmm. pharmacists nurses lots of different professions all contributing to society but I suppose really um, the icing on the cake is the fact that we've now got vets who are qualified yes. that are out in practice yes. um, and being able to get those vets um, out there working and feeding back to us and sometimes even contacting us for advice is a really wonderful feeling. And, and also getting the feedback that those vets are, are integrating well in practice and that actually the, the distributed models worked really well from a perspective of ensuring that they have the best possible training in day one competencies when they start off in practice yeah. um, and also they've got to know lots of different practices and environments yeah. and I think um, being able to deal with that those changes rapid changes and of mm. course over the last few years it's been particularly difficult with um, COVID and right. other things that are happening in the world at the moment it's been really very difficult for new graduates to integrate sometimes and I think the fact that our students get to work in lots of different practices before they qualify yes. has probably given them a little bit of a help in that transition period. Yes, help help them to be very um, adaptable, as you say. Absolutely. And have, yeah, absolutely. Uh, resilient as well, I think. Have some of them come back into the research activities as well? Yeah, not, not at the school, but yes, certainly some students are getting more interested in, re in research. And we've had some students contact us in practices saying, would we like to help them with some research that they're doing, clinical research? Um, we've had some students looking at the potential of doing PhDs as well. And um, within my group, I have quite a few vets doing PhDs. Um, some of those, um, you know, come from different universities, not necessarily Surrey. But I, I think there are a few students who are thinking about um, research, definitely. And I um, certainly um, encourage a few to think about microbiology and pathology. <laughs> 
um, and trying to get them interested <laughs> from an early stage. And I think most most people that go on to do a vet degree want to practice yeah. the start off with and, and, and really find their feet from a perspective of what the best pathway for them is going forward. But um, I do hope some go into research as well. We need vets in research. We do, and both. See, <laughs> so obviously very passionate about your, your research and your work, but were you an animal lover? growing up and did you have any pets as a child oh absolutely lots and lots of pets um always and um yeah real diversity of pets from rabbits rodents and and cats and chickens all sorts things and um yeah and I, I, i did live in italy for a little while and was very fortunate to live in the countryside and as more holding so that was also um a really lovely experience growing up as well so when did you think of microbiology then as a possible career path yeah I, I think probably it was um a few times when I was um in Italy uh, early on where um really I, I probably saw animals um that were unwell but I also saw animals um when they were being sold for meat and I thought well actually you know there are um, potential risks I suppose associated with that having heard about organisms like salmonella and E. coli um, and actually, I had salmonella when I was a, a, a young child. Oh, right. Um, and that actually definitely made me think about wanting to understand more about microbiology. And I was hospitalized and very, very poorly with it for a, a few weeks. So um, so I think that definitely made me think microbiology might be a, a career for me. Um, and combined with the animal side, I think veterinary microbiology was a perfect choice. Absolutely. And do you do you have any pets currently? Yes, dog, cats, and fish. Oh, and <laughs> so, fish as well. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lovely cocker spaniel and um, a tubby cat and um, tropical fish. Oh, that would keep you very busy when you're not not at the university. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> so you you wear many hats in your position at the university as well as your numerous advisory roles, research, and board roles. What does a normal working day look like for you? Or is there maybe no such thing? Oh, I don't think there's a normal working day. What I'd say is every single day is exciting. Every day is different. Um, And I think the diversity is what I really, really like. And I think working in academia, working in research, working working in the, the veterinary environment does allow you to have a really diverse and fulfilling career. Um, I suppose... My normal day is filled by lots of meetings, but I'm really fortunate that some of those meetings are about research, some are about education. Um, and so they're not just discussions around necessarily management only, which I, I enjoy as well. But I think the diversity of being able to do some research, manage um, a, a large school, and, and at the same time, contribute to the education of the next generation of um, vets, veterinary scientists and other health professionals is really w- mm. rewarding to be able to do that. Um, and I'm, I, I feel very privileged mm. um, to have my role. And I, I often think it it doesn't feel very much like a, a job most of the time. It really feels like something that I'm continuously enjoying and learning myself. And I think that's really, really good thing. If you, if you can enjoy your role most days um, and um, keep learning, then um, I think you're probably in the right job. Absolutely. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> so if you could offer one piece of advice for anyone who's maybe listening and thinking of uh, a career 
in veterinary science, what would it be? I think, firstly, um, keep your options open. Um, there are so many different career pathways through veterinary medicine. I think think about the diverse opportunities, anything from working in research, as we've discussed today, to being a clinical vet in, in practice, through to working with DEFRA as an advisor, um, through to some of the less well-known roles, perhaps um, working as a named veterinary surgeon or other roles such as that, or working in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, et cetera. Many very, very senior roles are, are occupied by veterinary surgeons um, and veterinary scientists. So I think it is keeping um, mm. the open mind um, and thinking that each day and each year you may learn something new and, and it's a continual learning process. So even though you're qualified in your particular discipline, you will continue um, to learn and, and it may take you different pathways. I initially didn't think I would be in academia. I started out um, working in the university doing research, but then worked at DEFRA for many years and was uh, very satisfied with that role. But then actually thought I wanted to give something back from an educational perspective. Um, and then that took me into university and um, to start a, a vet school um, and many other programs as well, which I certainly wouldn't have thought of when I was doing under, undertaking my undergraduate degree or even mm -hmm. my PhD. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. Um, well, we're probably biased, but it is, as you say, it's it's a great um, profession and it just gives a springboard into so many other areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think sometimes those areas are not always obvious. And I have a, a few people working in my group that work in, you know, um, one medicine, one health communication and oh. have a veterinary background. Mm -hmm. um, and actually they're using many of their skills, mm -hmm. um, particularly their people skills, but also mm -hmm. their science background and understanding of how everything comes together. So um, sometimes it might not be a clinical role, but actually it can be still have a huge component of um, veterinary science and veterinary medicine in it. Um, but a very different role to perhaps what one initially thinks uh, a vet might do. Mm -hmm. So you're obviously very, very busy. Um, what is next for you? <laughs> well, I think um, for me, it's thinking about um, perhaps um, bringing um, those doctors and vets and other allied professionals more closely together. I think that's really something I'm passionate about, um, both on the the one health side and the one medicine side. I'm I'm really keen to, to work more across the globe um, and diversify my research more internationally. And I'm involved in many very large consortia um, in the one health arena, but also in um, animal health and welfare. Um, and I'm hoping that, um, yeah, in the future, I'll be able to have a an even bigger impact on, on helping people understand what one health is and one medicine is but also um, having a real impact on um, animal health and welfare and public health. That's brilliant. Well, it's been really, really fascinating talking to you, Roberto, and I'm, I'm sure it's given everybody listening a really surprising insight into the diversity of work that, that can be done within the veterinary science field. Um, and I think I may have a go at having one of these um, virtual quizzes on um, Instagram through my reverent vet oh, social media should, profile. Definitely, <laughs> you definitely should. That'd be fantastic. Good, good fun. And um, definitely worth it. Now, you'll have you'll get all the questions right. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> 
So very, very good to talk to you. And thank you very much, Roberto. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me.